My name is Jared. I'm the high school director here, and I am honored to share this morning from Romans 14. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9, and we're going to start with a little bit of an exercise. So did you know that there's two types of people in the world? I'm going to give you two types, and then if you're one, I'm going to tell you just to stand up, and the other is going to stay seated, okay? If you know that there's two types. The first type is either an introvert or an extrovert. So I'm going to ask all the introverts, would you please stand up? Extroverts, you stay seated, stay where you're at. Introverts, stand How uncomfortable is that? You're asking the introverts to stand up? That's weird. Yes, yes, I am weird. You're welcome. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Second, there are two types of people in the world, and there is a correct answer to this one. I won't tell you what it is, but there are coffee people and tea people. So if you're a coffee person, join me in your caffeinated state and stand to your feet. I wonder which is the correct answer. If you can't see the correct answer, if it's too small, this says coffee on the front of it. But actually with this one, there is a third, right? There's a third type of person. There's also the Texan. So if you're a Dr. Pepper person, you can all be seated. We know it applies to everybody. I have actually grown to appreciate Dr. Pepper, since we moved here, you're doing something to me. I don't know. If that's what gets applause, we got problems. <laughs> and lastly, don't stand up on this one. Just stay where you're seated. Two types of people in the world, the strong and the weak. You do not need to self-diagnose. There are two types of people. And this morning, as we look at Romans 14, this is, in the words of the esteemed psychologist, Dr. Leo Marvin, this is a family conference. If you haven't seen What About Bob, do yourself a favor. You need to see this movie. It's fantastic. Dr. Marvin calls for a family conference where they're going to have a conversation and they're going to come to an agreement. What we are talking about this morning is far more of an important conversation than what he has with his family as he directs them wrongly to rejecting Bob. But we, this morning, we are having a family conference. This is an internal discussion for the Roman church but it has implications beyond the church because the church is the body of Christ. We represent Jesus to the world. And the way that we treat one another really, really matters. Jesus said this in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. So the way that we treat each other really has a vast ripple effect on what happens and on the message of the gospel. In this passage today, Paul addresses one issue that divides congregations. It's the issue of tolerance and acceptance. And we're going to begin just by reading it straight through. So if you have a Bible, turn to Romans 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be up on the screen. It begins with this, accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand. 
because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. Amen? It's powerful this morning. This passage is not about mere tolerance. Paul begins by saying, accept. Tolerance is defined by Webster as the ability or willingness to tolerate something in particular, the existence of opinions or behavior that one does not necessarily agree with. We tolerate all kinds of annoying behaviors from one another, right? At least that's typically true as long as that person is not related to us and we don't live in the same house and haven't been stuck there for two and a half months. <laughs> the truth is, though, that we can tolerate quite a bit. We really can, especially for a short period of time because it is being able to live with, tolerate somebody that we don't agree with, and we can do that for a short period of time. But acceptance... Acceptance is different. Acceptance goes beyond tolerance. And what word did Paul use at the beginning? He said, accept. I found an article from a psychologist, Jefferson Fish. He, he wrote an article about tolerance and acceptance in psychology today in 2014. And he said this, and I found it very helpful. He said, tolerance is a virtue. It is a version of the golden rule in that insofar as we want others to treat us decently, we need to treat them decently as well. Oh, Jesus said something about that. It's also a pragmatic formula for the functioning society. As we can see in the omnipresent wars between different religions, political ideologies, nationalities, ethnic groups, and other us versus them divisions. He goes on to say, it is a basis for the First Amendment protections that enabled the United States to avoid the religious strife that plagued Europe for centuries. And it is a reason to be skeptical of slogans such as zero tolerance. And then he says, acceptance goes a step beyond tolerance. If a sign of tolerance is a feeling of, I can live with X, I can deal with that, behavior, religion, race, culture, etc. then acceptance moves beyond that in the direction of X is okay. Not just I can live with it, but it's okay. And this is what I found to be very helpful. He said, you can tolerate something without accepting it, but you cannot accept something without tolerating it. So what we're talking about is more than just putting up with one another or living together in indifference. In fact, what we're talking about is hospitality. So the word that Paul uses for accept, it belongs to this family of verbs that can be used to describe a social reception or, or a welcome that entails a larger sense of hospitality, a welcoming into and accepting. But it also means accepting without 
without any conditions. Remember, this is a family conversation. So I can accept a Christian brother or sister who sees things that are not salvific. That means their salvation does not depend on them. I can accept someone who sees a non-salvific issue differently than I do as a Christian brother or sister. And I can accept them without conditions because conditional acceptance is not really acceptance and it may not even be tolerance. We can't accept one another on the basis of changing someone's mind about their Christian convictions because then our acceptance of them is not based on their identity as a follower of Christ and a brother and sister in Christ, but it's based on the idea that they're going to see things my way, the way I want them to see it. And in that case, I've put myself over them. So these matters that we're talking about today, these are disputed church matters, even within the early church. These are things that Christians disagreed on. They didn't come to the same conclusions, and that's okay. Now, to be fair and to be very clear, there are issues that require correction and rebuke and absolutely require discipline, but those are not our primary concern. Not with this passage. These are things that their salvation does not depend on, and we need to keep that in mind. The word that Paul uses here for disputable things is diacresis. That's a fun one to say, diacresis. This literally is a dispute. It is to argue, to dispute, or to, to have a, a debate about or a contention. Just a show of hands, I'm curious. How many of you, if somebody starts a debate, you just can't help yourself? You're just in. Like it, it could be something that you're just remotely interested in, not even like deep into, you're just like, somebody started a debate, I'm in. Show me your hands, I want to see. A few of us, all right. In popular culture, in the culture in which we live, some of these things may be like Mac versus PC. How many of us have had that debate? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. How many of us have been on both sides of the debate? Maybe that is just me. I can argue for either side. But that's not important. It's not vital. My life doesn't depend on that. That's these issues. So this word, diacresis, is also used by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 5.14. He says this, solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish diacresis between good and evil. These are distinguishing traits, not things that we divide over. So you may be asking, where can you find a list of these essential beliefs that every real, true Christian must believe in order to be a Christian? And where's the other list? What, what are the, all the secondary doctrines? We don't have time today to go into all of it and do an in-depth study on that, but I want to suggest to you two very good resources. One 
Both are actually on our website. One is the What We Believe page on the church website. If you go there, you can see just the foundational beliefs that Frisco Bible adheres to. It's a really, really good list. And the other is the sermon series that Pastor Wayne just concluded with the creed. If you look back in church history, the church fathers put creeds together to list out the fundamental beliefs of what it meant to be a Christian. And as we examine that, we can see clearly some of those things that we must believe in order to be a Christian. And that's important. In the 17th century, there was a pastor named Richard Baxter who, he also had some of the coolest facial hair ever. Um, this is the first time that I can find this quote. This is a quote that has been changed and, and used in many, many different settings by different people. Um, but this is what he said. He was really, really torn up about divisions in the church. This is not anything new. Churches have divided over things for centuries. We've always dealt with this. And he was torn up about it. And I believe he was the first one to put it succinctly like this. He said, in things necessary, there must be unity. In things less than necessary, there must be liberty. And in all things, there must be charity. We would do really, really well to remember that, to be charitable toward one another. So Paul uses this example of the weak and strong. And typically when we think of weak and strong, this is what we think of. People who are exercising, who are strong, they're fit, they're fast, whatever, and then you have Diary of the Wimpy Kid, the weak. And we see these as one is better than the other. I looked up this Greek word as well, and it was very interesting. And it literally, it means to be weak, not because of sickness or illness or anything else. It just means to be weak. And it isn't the only place this is used. In fact, in the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, Paul was addressing the church there about the topic of eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. So he's making the case that idols are nothing but carved images and, and sacrificing food to them does nothing to change the food. And as a follower of Christ, we need not worry about that. But he says this. However, not everyone has this knowledge, this understanding of the fact that we have freedom to eat what God has put in front of us. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not bring us any closer, will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat it and we're not better off if we do eat it. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, it's the same word, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, there's their identity, is ruined by your knowledge. Now, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. In Corinth and in Rome, the weak believers, they limited what they believed they were allowed to eat. 
And, and usually this was because they would be a convert to Christianity. They would have grown up in these pagan temples and in this tradition, and they would have eaten food. They would have sacrificed it to idols their entire lives. And then they would come to follow Jesus, and they wouldn't want to identify or associate with what they had done before. And so they would separate from that because of a fear sometimes of being pulled back into that or because it reminded them of something that they did before, even though they had the freedom. Their commitment to Christ came with the sacrifice of their old ways. I really like how the author of the complete, the translator of the complete Jewish Bible translates verse 2. He says, one person has the trust that will allow him to eat anything while another whose trust is weak eats only vegetables. It is about trusting Christ. And that was their conviction. You see, both believers, if we have person one and person two, they both trust Jesus. That's not the question. The way their trust works out in their life is different. And that's what Paul is addressing. So, we have a boxing ring. There are two corners. And in this corner, we have the one who is a strong believer, who believes they can eat anything, and so they eat the meat that is placed before them without wondering if it was sacrificed to an idol. And in the other corner, we have the weak believer. Maybe a recent convert, maybe not. Maybe they just have this conviction, and they do not eat the meat. The strong believer looks down on. I think one of the most helpful things we can do in studying the Bible is to look at the different ways that translators have translated various verses. And this is one that I think is important. The first part of Romans 14, 2, in four different translations, one who eats meat must not look down. Let not the one who eats despise. It's the same Greek word, but translated slightly differently. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt. And the one who eats is not to regard with contempt those who do not eat. So let's look at that word together. It is exothenee. To despise someone or something on the basis, get this, that it is worthless or of no value to treat with contempt, to look down on, to count as nothing. And this one hit me, to reject. So you have the strong believers because they have freedom to eat and they do not feel the conviction that they don't have to eat. They reject their brothers and sisters because they don't feel that they have the same freedom. They have a different conviction. And they reject them see them as worthless or of no value. You see where the division comes? This person places themselves above the other and looks down on them. In fact, there is a correct approach. And Paul also mentioned this in 1 Corinthians. Look at what he said the believer's approach should be to a weaker believer. I'm going to read this. Read the underlined text with me. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body but the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Amen? We're all in this together. You've heard that way too many times over the last two and a half months. But as a family, it's true. We are all in this together. And so we look at that and we say, oh, you guys are bad. Like that, you should not judge. Don't look down. And that's true. And we begin to feel bad for the weaker believers who are over here. We begin to feel sorry for them. And yet, maybe we shouldn't because they are just as guilty. The word that Paul uses for judging is krino. Krino means to judge somebody, someone to be guilty and liable to punishment. So the strong believers look down on with contempt and they reject the weaker believers and the weaker believers place themselves in a position of a judge over their brother and sister. Both are wrong because they say, this is my conviction and you should follow my conviction as well because it's my conviction. That's the problem. Because the weaker believer should not judge the stronger believer. Jesus alone is the judge. And the fact is that we will all, weak and strong, we are on level ground. We are going to stand before the throne of God. And we are all going to answer for our own actions. We're all going to answer for the convictions that we have. So instead of the stronger believer being placed over the weaker or the weaker judging the stronger, we are both level at the foot of Christ. And we're all going to answer to him. This morning in my personal reading, um, I've got a reading plan that I read through each year that takes me all the way through the Bible. And this morning I read 1 John 4. And... I added it to my notes because I think it just, it hit me. It hit me in a way that it really hasn't hit me before through all the preparation for this sermon. So I'm going to read just a couple of passages from 1 John 4, verse 7 to start. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You see, we are family. And then verses 15 through 19, he says this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So we all stand before Christ. How? Not by our own efforts. Paul even says it in Romans 14. He says, he is the one who makes us stand. You see, we can't stand before the throne of Christ on our own power. He's the one who makes us stand. He's the one who makes us righteous, who takes away our sin. We can't do it by ourselves. And we are all responsible for our own response to his grace. One of the principles that we adhere to at Frisco Bible, I, I really agree with, is regarding scriptural interpretation. It's the idea that there is always one correct interpretation for any passage, but a wide variety of application. So there's lots of ways to apply the truth of scripture in our life. And you know what? We have a pretty great example of this right now, don't we? This Wednesday, an email went out to the entire church explaining our approach to COVID-19 and the response. And the email included this paragraph. And I, I wanted to highlight it because I think it's phrased the best of anything that I've seen in terms of a response. Our elders put this together and they said, following the commands regarding disputed things in Romans 14, we will not condone any condensation among the brethren. A person declared high risk by the CDC may choose to gather physically for worship. They will not be looked down upon. Likewise, one who is supposedly low risk may choose to stay home. No one will consider them lesser. For those of you who have gathered here in person, you are welcome to, whether you are considered high risk or not. Please be wise, but you are welcome to gather. And even if you are considered low risk and you choose to stay at home, that is fine. We will not judge you. We will not look down on you. You need to follow your convictions. And I appreciate so much the way that our church has phrased that. The fact is we need to be fully convinced of our conviction. And so Paul, while he has just used the illustration of meat, he also uses a second example, beginning in verse 5. It says, one person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. So, once again, we have our boxing ring. We, on one side, we have a group of people that there are special days. You like special days? Who are my special day people? You're very excited about special days. Who are my special day people? Show me. Let me hear you. Hey, yeah, special days. Who are my, you don't have to say anything. Who are my people that think every day is the same? Just show me your hand. You can even just raise it halfway. That's okay, too. Just put it up a little bit. Every day is the same. Here's what's interesting about this. In the first example, Paul differentiates between strong believers and weak believers. In this one, he does not. He just simply says there are some who see special days and some who do not. Some have a really cool calendar and others, it's just blank. Every day is the same. 
Have you ever taken the opportunity to look at the National, calen National Day calendar? A middle school that I used to volunteer had had this up in their office, and I would get a crack every time I went in. It was hilarious, because did you know we have a special day for everything? I mean everything. If you want to submit something, you can, and it'll turn into a special day, because to some people, these really matter. So did you know this is today? Today is National Yucatan Shrimp Day. <laughs> yeah, somebody really likes it. Okay, I'm happy for you. It's also National Aviation Maintenance Technician Day. We love our aviation technicians. They keep us safe. They needed a special day. It's Brother's Day. I'm a brother. I had a day. I didn't even know it. It's National Scavenger Hunt Day. So what are you doing after church? You're going to go on a scavenger hunt because it's also National Escargot Day. So go on, a national, go on a scavenger hunt for escargot, but today's also National Wyoming Day, so you can go to Wyoming on a scavenger hunt looking for escargot. Good luck. <laughs> we have these special days, and some people freak out about this. Other people are like, nah. It's my birthday. So happy for you. Like, they just don't care. Here's the thing. It's your own conviction. You can celebrate a special day. It's okay. Or not. That's okay too. What's really interesting about this is that Paul seems to be, and he doesn't directly state it in this passage, but he opens this up. And most scholars that I looked at, think that he is, not in an underhanded way or anything, but that he is addressing a church that is so divided that he is opening things up and actually addressing the Sabbath. Does he specifically appeal to the Sabbath in this discussion? No, he does not, but he does in Colossians 2.16. So let's read that. This was a church, their letter to another church. He says to them, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. So you have a group of people who is legalistic and ritualistic about following certain laws. And you have another group of people that says, I just want to, I'm following Jesus. They're convicted differently. And Paul is saying both are okay. He appears to be putting the Sabbath observance in a category called a diaphora, which means that it's neither commanded nor forbidden. Can you strictly observe the, the Sabbath? Absolutely. Is strict observance of the Sabbath required for salvation? It is not. Your salvation does not depend on you following that. It depends on you coming to Christ. Now, he might convict you. Even recently, we've been going a million miles an hour. So has everybody else. And honestly... As things have begun to open up again, I find myself incredibly busy. And I have not done a good job of resting. 
I've not done a good job of Sabbath. And even this week, I was convicted that I need to do a better job of Sabbath. Is that because somebody told me that if I didn't, that I wouldn't be saved? No, not at all. But because I know God's heart for me and I read his word. And that was his conviction to me. What's important is that as believers in the body, we're convinced of our convictions and that we act in a way to honor the Lord. These are not things that are hasty, that we just read one verse and make a decision, but instead that we take careful consideration, that we read, we pray, we study, and we seek Jesus and the direction of the Holy Spirit, and we let him guide us. In his expository outline of this passage, Warren Wearsby makes, I think, this fantastic observation. He says that Christians are not to act from mere emotion, but from settled inward convictions that are the result of diligent prayer and study of the word. There would be no serious disagreements if every Christian acted from conviction. Someone has said that opinions are what we hold and convictions are what hold us. The stronger Christian is not to despise the weaker one for his or her immaturity, neither is the weaker believer to judge his or her more mature brothers and sisters for their liberty. God has received both in Jesus Christ and we should receive each other. Our lives are to be directed by him, not by people's ideas or judgments. Mature Christians know why they behave as they do and these convictions control their lives. So as we get toward the end of this passage today, why do we do what we do? Why do we have these convictions? The life we live, we live for the Lord. When our time comes and we go to be with him, our goal should be to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you have convictions about the way that you live following Jesus and you live to honor him, I believe you are going to hear that. The fact of the matter is we don't do anything, not a single thing, to earn God's favor. He gives it to us freely. Everything that we do, we do as a response to the favor that he has already given to us. We live for him because we're grateful for what he has done for us and taking away our sin. He's the vine, we are the branches. We're renewed in him each and every day as we come before him. So let us not judge one another. Let us not despise one another over disputable matters. And the fact is that we cannot honor him if we don't know him. It's a matter of utmost importance. Have you placed your trust in Jesus? Are you part of the family? Have you asked him to forgive you? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead and have put your faith and trust in him? Because as soon as you do that, you're a part of the family. If that's something you have not done yet, I would implore you, consider the claims of Christianity. Trust Jesus. Let him take away your sin. Paul ends in verse 9, stating that Jesus is the Lord of the living and the dead. And this reminded me of a verse in Philippians. 
Philippians 2, 8 through 11, he humbled himself, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody will do that one day. He is Lord of all. And because he is Lord of all, and he is the one who has accepted us, and he is the one who gives us the strength to stand before the throne, because of that, we can live in the convictions that he gives us, and we don't have to judge each other. So, I want to challenge you today to commit to neither judging nor despising fellow believers over disputable matters. There are churches that have divided, you've heard it, over the color of the carpet. That's a disputable matter and should never divide believers. Let us not fall prey to something like that. Let us not divide over things that are disputable or distinguishing we can be unified and distinguished. And if this is the case, we're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. If this is something that you face now, that as you read these verses, as we study it together, then I want to ask you to be a peacemaker, to take the first step. Go and find your brother or sister that you've sinned against or has sinned against you and make peace with them. Ask for forgiveness. Jesus was really serious about this too. In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, he said, if you're offering your gift on the altar and then you remember that your brother has something against you, go, leave your gift here at the altar and go and make peace with them, then come back. But go and make peace first. That's how important this is. Jesus told them to stop their worship and to go and be reconciled. We're all going to stand before Jesus someday. May we stand before him well as he gives us the strength. And may we accept one another as he has accepted us. And I'm so glad that he's accepted me with all of my faults. He's accepted us all. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the, the conviction that it has caused me. God, I needed to hear this. Maybe more than anybody. And I pray that as a body that we would live this out and that people would see your glory and that they would see how much we love one another and that in that, that they would turn to you and that they would receive the gift of eternal life. And as we pray, I, I want to give you that opportunity as well. If you have never trusted Jesus, if you're not part of the family and this morning the Spirit has convicted you and, and instructed you, if Jesus is calling you this morning, 
Would you raise your hand if you this morning have trusted Christ for the first time? Nobody's looking around. Okay. Father, thank you for this church family. Thank you for loving us and accepting us for who we are and for making us new in you. God, I pray that we would live this out and live it well. In Jesus' name, amen.